Morning ACF, 11 o'clock. We are so glad that you are here with us to worship. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here. We also want to welcome those who are with us online and give them a big welcome to our place as well. Especially want to say hi to Brent and Liz Hoffman who uh, watch us from the Czech Republic of Prague. And so we're super excited that they are here um, and with us this morning as well. So, uh, if you haven't been here for one of our Impact Eagle River uh, events, we have it once a year. And uh, making sure that I'm still on. There we go. We have our Impact Eagle River. It's coming up in two weeks from today. And if you are new and, or you've been new in the last year and you haven't been part of it, let me tell you just for a moment what that is. It really is an expression of the heart of ACF Church, of who we are. Our identity as a community of believers is, is one that doesn't just want more knowledge about God. We want that, but we want to put it into practice in real ways as well. So uh, Impact Eagle River, what we do is we meet here at 8 o'clock in two weeks in this room, 8 o'clock in the morning, that is. There are two eights, 8 o'clocks in the morning. I'm an early riser, and I appreciate you guys being here. You're my people as well. Um, we meet, we rally, and then we break up into teams to go serve our community. And we do that in many different ways. Right out here in the parking lot, we're going to be changing oil for people for free. We provide all the oil, the filters, and the labor to do it. And we want to just show love to Jesus, that, or the love of Jesus that way. Across the street at the Shell Station here in Eagle River, we will be buying down the cost of gas just to help alleviate some of the stress on families in our community. We'll be going into nonprofits to help them maybe transition from uh, the summer, then fall into winter. Uh, to do different kind of work that they have into our schools, uh, to maintain trails uh, in our uh, the, like mountain bike trails and cross-country skiing trails. Uh, we will be going into private homes uh, and doing yard work there, painting and repairs of houses as well. Uh, we are one of my favorite. I don't know if I'm doing that. I probably am. I'm going to try and fix the technology so you guys don't have to listen to the popping the whole time. We'll see how that goes. Bear with me. I'm, I'm almost 50, so, you know, technology, it just is a thing. But it really is, again, an expression of who we are as a church. And so uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that later uh, this morning as well. Um, we also have just come as a church off of a month of prayer and fasting as we sought God's heart uh, and have really, we, we believe, heard him lead us and drive us into what we, we are calling an Acts 1-8 mission for ACF. And what that is, if you're not familiar with Acts 1-8, it talks about Jesus is telling his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so for us, what does that mean? Well, that means that Eagle River is our Jerusalem. That's where we are. And then Jesus was kind of working his way out to the disciples, basically saying, you will have an impact of greater and greater influence because of who Jesus is. And so Judea, Samaria, is that still popping? Yeah, well, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's probably just me. Um, 
Do we want to do a handheld? Or do you want to try and... Dwayne might know why this is happening. I don't. Can we give uh, the sound and tech guys a big hand? We're going to try that for a few minutes and see if that gets better. We don't want to abuse your ears the whole time, so we'll try that. Uh, but we have come across, so Acts 1-8, then our Judea Samaria is maybe looking at outposts or a, a second location for ACF somewhere uh, in our community, maybe up to Wasilla, Anchorage. We're not sure. We don't even know what that looks like, but we do feel God leading us to start considering and planning for and and watching for where God might step us that direction. We've also had teams that have gone to Prague uh, this summer. We've had teams that went down to Mexico to build a house. And we have a team in February, as it's looking like, to go to Bobo Jalasso, where we have sponsored 500 kids uh, in that community through Compassion International. And we want to have uh, a, a continued impact there. And we've, we've seen some needs of possibly making a physical structure of a church so that a church can house and sponsor even more kids and the gospel can be spread through a mostly Muslim nation there. So that is our, our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and thank you for participating with us as a church community uh, as we prayed, we fasted, and... Do I just go to the handheld? I will try. I will try this. That will probably pop a little bit less. We'll do this. So Brian, Pastor Brian, Pastor Josh, and Ryan, um, they are out of town. They're out hunting right now. And so they asked me to preach, and I was super excited to preach. And the reason is that, I don't know if you know this, this is the first sermon in our new building where we're not talking about money. Don't tell them. I hope they don't watch. They're not going to watch this, right? Okay. I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying that. (laughs) Next step is not about just money. It's about a mission and a vision, right? So, but they're out hunting. And I I, I went out hunting about a week and a half ago with my 12-year-old daughter. Uh, We were, I set the expectations super low. Uh, My first moose hunt, her first hunting ever. And so it's just daddy-daughter time. Uh, She gets a little bit older and we're able to, you know, hopefully instill a little bit of my limited knowledge uh, into her and I uh, told her, we will not shoot anything. We're just going to be looking at animals. The odds of us finding a shootable moose are going to be so super low. Like, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. We may just drink some coffee, eat some snacks. Cheez-Its were everywhere. We loved it. She was happy. And then this guy walked across our path. Um, and, yeah, 57 and a half inches, for those of you keeping track, that, that we were blown away. Like, we, it was unbelievable. And so I took the shot, but uh, she proved herself on a, That was an 18-hour day the first day, and then we went back to harvest the rest of the meat the next day. Uh, we call it our best worst day ever, and some of you have heard some of the story, but it, it was a lot of work. I don't know if you know that, but it's a lot of work. I apologize if you don't like um, the, the graphic images of a dead animal, but it's Alaska, so get over it. Um, <laughs> It's kind of who we are up here, so it, I, I'm going to so get emails and in trouble. Um, but long before I took the shot on this moose, which was a total blessing in our lives, um, there was somebody who invested in me. I didn't just go out with no knowledge uh, of of hunting, uh, but somebody back in Tucson. I haven't. I didn't grow up hunting. Uh, I I did not grow up in a family that hunted, and so. The last few years, I've been up here about four years, uh, the last maybe two years before I moved up, um, somebody was teaching me how to hunt, uh, like whitetail, mule deer, 
elk in Arizona. It was unsuccessful. I'd never taken a big game animal uh, in Arizona. But uh, one of the, the way I got connected was I was a youth pastor, and one of the high school kids, his dad wanted to invest in him and teach him how to hunt. And so I heard about it, and I asked if I could tag along as well. And he graciously, he's a friend, and he graciously offered to let me tag along on his hunts. As he was teaching his kid, he also taught me. And I remember one Sunday morning, really early, uh, I got a call from him, and he said, I've been up on the mountain just about an hour north of Tucson, and I've, I've downed a deer, and I w- would love to wait here if you want to come out to me, and I will walk you through how to clean this animal. And I'd never done it before, so I jumped at the chance, jumped in my truck, drove all the way out, and it hit me as I was driving up there. It took me an hour to get there. He's probably been sitting there for two or three hours on this, this animal, patiently waiting for me to teach me something I didn't know. He was a good leader. I look back and go, he was a good instructor because now I have skills that I can pass on to my daughter. And I'm learning all the time. Like a 12-year-old and me cannot harvest a moose by ourselves. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. You, you may have already knew that. I did not. But I've also had bad leaders. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking about a good leader in your life. Maybe you, if you take a second and think about that. But I've also had leaders that I, don't, I wouldn't say were good leaders uh, when I was in college, I got a job uh, at Costco Tire Center so that I could reupholster the interior of my K5 Blazer, which was falling apart, and I just wanted, I wanted it to be awesome. So I had no, like, zero desire to stay at Costco working there. If you work there, it's an awesome place. Um, but I only wanted to work there. I had no commitment to them, aside from I just wanted money so I could reupholster my, my Blazer. But anyway, I... I got working there and realized that the, the one in Tucson, Arizona that I was working on, on Grant Road, it, it wins awards among Costco. Um, they don't give, like, national awards. You don't see the president giving them a medal in the White House. But among Costco, they, they compete for uh, speed of service and quality of service. And this Costco tire center in particular won it every time. Uh, they were top-notch. And I discovered why is because of the supervisor drove his employees super hard. One of the rules was we had to have a hop in our step. We could not walk between stations ever. Uh, you could not run because that's unsafe. But you also, just in case you're wondering, um, but you do have to have that hop in your step, always doing something. You, you never, if you were being paid, you never had downtime. If you finished a job and there was no other job to do, you found jobs to do or else you caught some wrath from the supervisor. Uh, and it quickly became apparent he didn't care about us as workers, as people. He cared about winning the awards and advancing his career. It was very clear. Uh, and if you've ever had a leader like that, that, that can lead a, a bitter taste in your mouth. Uh, it leaves one in mind. One of the examples, one of the things I remember very vividly is they would have competitions within the tire center. If you're not familiar with the process, if you just take your car in and hope that tires get on it, um, there's a tire buster uh, and it, at our tire center, we split it into two jobs. We had the, the tire buster who was working the machine to pull the rubber tire off of the rim and put a new one on. And then you had somebody who had to balance that tire to make sure that it was balanced and then put it on your car and make sure that everything was torqued properly. So the guy putting the tires on and balancing them had to compete with the buster. So the buster would put a new tire on, bounce it over to the guy. Even if you weren't there, he would still bounce it your direction. You had to grab the tire, balance it on the machine, which meant you had to do it right the first time, grab it off the balancer, run over, put it on the, on the car, and then torque it by hand, and then run back to get the next tire before it bounced past you. So there was always this competition. And my supervisor 
would come up while you were down at the, the in this stress, while you were kneeled down at the tire, so you're, you're working on this tire, and he, he would come up and put his knees in the small of your back, and he would stand above you with his arms crossed and look down like Dracula on you. And I don't know about you, I don't work well in that environment. And if I was going to strip a lug nut, it was going to happen right there in front of him, and it, it sometimes did. But he cared about the process. He cared about the efficiency of the, of the, the tire center, but he didn't care about me. And I knew it, right? And I think if we're honest, we all have people that we lead. We all have people that we are leading in some capacity or another. You may be middle management here at a restaurant in Eagle River, and you're like an assistant manager, and you come in, and you are told by somebody what what the day is going to look like. And then maybe you turn around, and you get to tell other people what their day is going to look like, and you're leading them. If you're in the military, you maybe have super clear lines of who gets to tell you what to do, and you get to tell certain people very clearly what they can do, right? Sometimes I dream of having those kind of clear lines, and you're like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Trust me. But if you're a, maybe you're a student and you've got parents at home uh, who are leading and investing in your life, maybe you are a student and you've got professors who are investing in you as well, and they're leading and instilling experience and knowledge in you, right? If you're married, you've got a spouse, and they get to direct and influence the choices that you make in life. They have a lot of influence. And if you don't believe me, the next time you want to do something for yourself, just tell your spouse you're going to go do it instead of asking them. After 17 years of marriage, we're coming up on our anniversary in a week, um, I've learned you, you better ask. I'm not going to tell you how I know that, but it's important to ask, not to tell your spouse But it's okay to follow people, right? We don't mind if they have flaws, because we all have flaws, if we know they care about us and they have our best interest at heart. We're willing to give people a lot of grace as long as we know that they care about us as people. But what about have you what about when you have a leader who doesn't care about you, that's just out to advance their career, that's just out to make themselves look good at the expense of the people they are leading? That can leave a super bitter hard taste in your mouth, right? And the reality is that God dealt with this with the nation of Israel, and he dealt with this in Scripture, and it gives us some great insights in being leaders and being followers. So if you have your Bible today, we're going to start in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 11. The book of Ezekiel, uh, it's about two-thirds the way through the Old Testament, and it's going to follow Isaiah, Jeremiah. There's a book called Lamentations in there, and then you're going to see Ezekiel. And he's a prophet from God. And let me give you a little bit of background of Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived about 600 B.C., so about 2,600 years ago, Ezekiel was alive. And what had happened to the nation of Israel is God had led them. He had built their, their nation. And they had eventually, over time, turned their back on God. And they had followed other gods. They had just made up gods. They had just followed themselves, and they just wanted to do whatever made them happy. And God had repeatedly sent people to warn them, follow me and I will bless you as a nation. Turn your back on me and I will cut you off. Well, they continued to ignore. And so God sent in the Babylonians to take them captive, basically to to decimate their land. And the Babylonians, what they did was they took all all the things that were valuable from Israel, all the gold, the silver, the cattle. They took all of those, all the people that had skill, anyone who was an artisan that had a, a talent, 
the, the doctors, the lawyers, maybe not the lawyers, but they, no, I'm kidding. They took the lawyers too. If you're a lawyer here, don't be mad at me. I'm just making a joke, trying to. So God loves you too. There's hope for all of us. But they would take all the good people and they would leave the sick and the poor in the land they just took over and then they would put governors over it. And you can imagine the state of that, of, of Israel at this point. It's just decimated, right? And so Ezekiel was taken captive pretty early on. And so he's speaking. He gets this word from God while he's in Babylon, while he's in captivity. And he's speaking really to two people. The people who had turned their back on God, he's giving a warning, a continued warning from God. And he's also giving hope to those who had longed for a return to Israel to be able to worship God again. Those people who had turned back towards God. So he's giving hope to them, but a warning to those who had taken advantage of the nation. So back in Ezekiel 34, I'm going to try and do this with two hands. I guess because I only have two hands, I have to figure it out. (laughs) Welcome to my world. I say stuff like that all the time. All right, Ezekiel 34, uh, verse 11, uh, chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pastures and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their sheep. Their, I, let me just try that again. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So we're coming into this passage in the middle of God railing against the leaders of Israel, whom he likens to shepherds who watch over sheep. And he says, I put you in charge of the sheep, and you you destroyed them at at their expense so that you could be wealthy. You took everything from them so that you would be comfortable. All the things that I gave to you to pass on to the sheep, you didn't do. You didn't seek them. You didn't care for them. You didn't feed them. But you took care of yourself really good. You didn't care for those you were leading. And then we come into this where, where God starts talking about I will be the shepherd. So, but the, can I go on a bunny trail here? A little bit of, like, I just want to show you how my mind works when I'm reading passages like this. So in verse 11 and verse 15, um, if you, I don't know, in your Bible, in most English translations, it'll say, it starts off verse 11, for thus says, and it says, the Lord God. And Lord is capital L, little O-R-D, and then God is all capitals. And yours might be very similar to that. And I started asking, well, why is that? And this, this is why it is that. God has a name in the Hebrew language, and his name is four letters. It's Y-H-W-H. And if you don't know how to pronounce that, nobody else does either, actually, which is really cool. Um, the original Hebrew language had no vowels and no spaces, 
So that could be a fun thing to read. It was an oral language, uh, but they wrote it down, uh, and that was God's name, given himself, used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And so anytime you see that, and the English translators wanted a way to communicate to us, since we read in English, most of us, that this was the name of God that he had given us, these four letters. So they, they wanted a way. So anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord in all caps, that's this four letters, right? Y-H-W-H. Now, yeah, the, the Bible scholars like to come up with really awesome words. So tetragrammaton is the word they came up with for these four letters, these specific letters, Y-H-W-H. And it literally means tetra is four, gramma, word, and if you add that ending, T-O-N, you've got, literally, it means four-letter word. So they called the name of God the four-letter word, not anticipating what that would imply in our culture. But So we have the four-letter word, the tetragrammaton, that God has given us, right? There's also other names in the Old Testament for God. We have uh, words like Adonai, and that really means like sovereign, all-powerful, like a king. You could say that of a king, that... He is Adonai. He is sovereign. There's another word uh, for God as well that you see throughout the Old Testament, and it's a generic word for God, and it's really it's El, or Elohim, you might have heard, is one of the variants of that. And there's many variants of that word, but it's generic. You could say, that dude is so handsome, he is a God. It's generic. It doesn't necessarily mean the one true God. But when God uses his name, capital all capital L-O-R-D, or really YHWH, he's using his name. Now, we think, it mean, we, we think it's pronounced Yahweh. Most people would, would lean towards Yahweh, uh, but we're not sure, again, because there was no vowels. And the ancient translators, the people, the Hebrews, did not want to say the name of God by accident. They didn't want to accidentally speak it or even think it. So they had a practice of, they took the vowels of Adonai, and inserted them into Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and they got Yahuwah, which when transliterated from language to language, we get the word Jehovah, which is not God's name. Because the translators didn't realize that the Hebrews were doing this, so they took a name, added some stuff, to it, not realizing there was letters added to it, and then translated that as God's name. And you may have heard that God's name is Jehovah, but... In my mind, it, it's like calling God Carl and saying, well, I know it's not his name, but I'm going to call him Carl anyway. It's, he's not Carl. He's, he's the four-letter word. He's Y-H-W-H. He's, he is Yahweh, and he, he claims that that's his name. So, anyway, okay, so that's, those are the bunny trails that my mind goes on um, as I read Scripture. We'll get back, let's get back to our passage here. So God is railing on the shepherds for not shepherding the people. He starts talking about what he's going to be doing. He's going to be their shepherd. He's going to lead their people. Because the leaders had shirked their responsibility, he says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to do it. And so we can glean one one observation, I think, from this already. And that is that leaders are expected to care for those they lead. And it may seem obvious that leaders should care, but they don't always care. And I think if you think about leaders in your life, you, you can maybe think of a few that, don't, that didn't care about you or don't care about you. Maybe you got one right now. So it's not always obvious. And it was so unobvious that God had to confront the leaders of Israel 
here in Ezekiel. But because he's had enough, he basically declares, well, I'm going to take you out of your position of authority, and I'm going to step in. And if you read down a little further in Ezekiel 34, verse 23, it says, this is God speaking, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, okay, so here's another thing, is there is no the in the Hebrew language in front of Lord. It literally just says, uh, and I, Yahweh, it's just that four-letter word right there, and I, Yahweh, will be their God. It just sounds funny to say, and I, the, the Yahweh, that would not work, right? So, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. And I, or I am, and Yahweh have spoken. And the God in there is, that's Elohim. So it literally is Yahweh will be their God, be their Elohim. And my servant David shall be prince among them. And I am Yahweh. I have spoken. God is making a significantly strong promise. And he's saying, you can believe it because I'm telling you. I am going to not raise David from the dead. Because he's saying, I'm going to raise my servant David. He's not going to raise him from the dead. But someone from the bloodline of David is going to be a shepherd over Israel. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to the New Testament, John chapter 10, verse 11. We see where God fulfills, 600 years later, his promise to Israel to be their shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus is claiming, when he claims to be the good shepherd, he is referring back to this passage in Ezekiel where God promises, makes a promise, and Jesus says, God's keeping it. And I'm that, I'm that promise fulfilled. Leading up to that statement by Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, if you read through chapter 9 of John, you're going to see a miracle happened in the life of Jesus. Actually, the miracle in somebody else's life, but Jesus is the conduit. And so here, what we see is a man who is born blind comes and is is approached by Jesus and never seen anything. And Jesus heals the man, but this is the way he does it. He, he takes some dirt from the ground, dry dirt, he spits in it, and he shoves it in the dude's eyes. And he says, go wash it off in a pool, and you'll get your sight back. Jesus could have, I think, just said, be healed, right? He had that authority. But he chose to do this weird thing. And I think it's a weird thing. If, and if you don't think it's a weird thing, then I don't think you're really thinking about what that would be like. If somebody spit in the dirt and shoved it in your eyes, and you got your sight back. That's a pretty amazing thing. Well, it was an amazing thing back then as well. To me, it just adds credibility to the story that Jesus is truly doing amazing things. Because if I was making this up, I wouldn't include that, well, Jesus spit in some dirt and shoved it in a dude's eyes, and then he watched, and then he was healed. That's just, it's a little too much detail. But when you think about it, it's like, that's believable. This is weird. So the dude, the leaders at the time, the guys that God had put over the people of Israel, the shepherds, the Pharisees, they hear about this, they see this going on, they call him in and they question him. Well, who did this? Well, Jesus did this. Well, how did he do it? I don't know. Well, how did it happen? I don't know. He, he, 
bit on some dirt, put it in my eyes, told me to go wash, and I can see. Well, how'd that work? I don't know. But Jesus did this thing, and he, they, they don't believe him at first. They don't believe him at all. They don't want to believe him, even with this obvious thing going on in their midst. So they call his parents in, and they're like, this guy is really not the guy that was born blind. They're like, no, he is. Trust me. We've been his parents his whole life. He's never seen anything, and but now he's seeing. We don't know how it happened either. either. But he's an adult. You can ask him. But he praises Jesus so much, says good things about Jesus, that they, they just can't endure it. So they kick him out of the temple, it says. They kick him out, which is really the community. Their family of, of God followers at that moment, they said, you're no longer welcome. Well, Jesus hears about that and has compassion on him and seeks him out to have a conversation. So if you turn back or down just a little bit, John chapter 9, verse 35. We pick up the story there. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Stop for a second and think about that. 24 hours earlier, this dude hadn't seen anybody in his whole life. Who is this Jesus? Who is the Son of Man? Who is the one sent by God? Jesus said, you've seen him. Maybe he's only seen 50 people to this point. Wow, that's pretty cool. I've only seen a few people, and I've seen the Messiah, the one sent by God, the chosen one who is going to redeem Israel. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Oh, you've seen him, and you're talking to him right now. I am him. That's just super cool. So he said, said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And just stop for a moment there as well. And he worshiped him. Anytime somebody offers worship to Jesus, have you noticed something? He never turns it down. Does that stand out to you? Angels turn down worship when they appear to people with a message from God and they fall on their knees to worship. And they say, no, 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 don't worship me. Why? Because you're not to worship anyone but God. We're told that in the Old Testament, right? You will have no other gods before me. You will worship no other gods, period. So why doesn't Jesus turn it away? Because he's God. When somebody is questioning whether Jesus is God, take him to a passage where he receives worship willingly. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, and that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Are you calling us blind, Jesus? Are you talking to us? And he was. And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Because you say you know it all, because you say you have the information and the knowledge of God, even though you're blind, you're, you're guilty because you're claiming to know something. You're claiming to be leaders of people. Jesus really here is low-key, well, not so low-key, accusing the leaders of shirking their responsibilities. You have a responsibility to lead people. You have a responsibility to invest in them, to care about them, and you haven't. You're as blind as they are, yet you're, you've been put in a, re, a position of leadership. You're not being good leaders. That's what he's telling them. And the crazy thing is that's exactly what God was telling the leaders in Ezekiel 600 years previously. 
You're shirking your responsibility as leaders. I gave you resources. You didn't bother to use them on anybody but yourself. And the Pharisees were doing the exact same thing to Jesus. Jesus himself lives out what it looks like to be a good shepherd. What it looks like to be a good leader. He fed the hungry. He cared for the needy. Healed the sick. He led people to God. And he sought out the lost. And something else that I think we can glean from this passage is this. Jesus cares more for you than you know. You hear nothing else I say today? Just remember that. Jesus cares more for you than you know. You may think you're too far gone, that you've done things, you've thought things, you're doing things, you've experienced some things that no way, no way would God want to know me. No way would God come after me. And I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. With a love you've never experienced before. He never stops looking for you if you're lost. He never stops offering you food if you're hungry. He never stops caring for you if you're feeling like an outcast. He never stops giving you strength if you're weak or sick. He offers to lead you when you're not sure what to do with your life. I love at the end of this section that people accuse Jesus of having a demon or being insane. That's how the Pharisees, the leaders, explain after that he rebukes the leaders. That's how they, well, that's how you're doing all this stuff. That's, that's who you are. You're just an insane person, or obviously Satan himself is just incarnate in you. And I love it that Jesus doesn't have to open his mouth at that point. Just some stand, people standing by, watch and go, wait, wait a minute. He can't be insane or demon-possessed because, I don't know if you noticed, there's an elephant in the room. This dude who was born blind, who we all know, can see. You can't get around that this guy can now see. Something miraculous has happened through Jesus. You need to explain that. And they couldn't. And I love it that people come to the defense of Jesus by just pointing out the obvious. That there's something, if you don't believe Jesus, at least believe the signs that were going on through Jesus. You can't just say he's demon-possessed or insane. The reality is when God gives us leadership, when he puts you as a shepherd or anybody as a shepherd over people, that comes with responsibilities. He expects us to use what we have to invest in the people that we are over. He showed us a different way to be a shepherd, though, didn't he? I love it. he, He said he was a good shepherd. Not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. The good shepherd, not a bad shepherd, not an evil shepherd, not a shepherd out to get you, but a good shepherd. I love that he identifies that. And I think, because my mind is weird, I think Jesus could have made a, a killing, like as a carp, just as a carpenter. Let's go back. He was raised as a carpenter's son, right? So he had, he had some pretty mad wood skills, right? I would think. And he's God, so yeah, I think he could make some stuff out of wood and probably make a really good living. Some of you guys, if you've ever been a finished carpenter or been around him, they, they make a pretty good living. Jesus, I think, could have made that pretty, pretty smooth in his life. 
Or he was, maybe he decided, I want to be a teacher. He was a good, people followed him, right? He was a good communicator. I think he could have made a pretty good living being an itinerant uh, teacher, just wandering or going from city to city, charging money, making some, making some bank, being a really good motivational speaker. And I think with the healing thing, man, he could have made some money, right? You ever think about what Jesus' life would be like had he not died on the cross and just decided, I wanted to live for myself? I wanted to do my thing and not God's thing? I think he could have done pretty well, but he didn't. He showed us a different way to lead. He showed us a different way to be a shepherd, what that looks like to truly be a shepherd. And through that, Jesus demonstrates what a leader loving his followers really looks like. All the way to the point of laying his life down for those who are following him. I think God wants to lead us. He wants Jesus to be our shepherd this morning. Our comforter, our healer. God put Jesus over us so that we could care and feed, and seek others. Jesus leads the way in loving you so that you can lead the way in loving others. Jesus not only came to change our lives, but the lives of the people around us. The leaders at the time of Ezekiel took what God had given them and used it for themselves and not on the people that were under them. The Pharisees at the time of Jesus took the knowledge and the gifts they had and used it for themselves and not on the people they were in charge of, that they were charged and responsible for. God showed us how we should love other people. And if you turn a little bit later in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34, it says this, a new commandment I give you, this is Jesus talking, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. So if Jesus, the good shepherd, did what a shepherd should do, he fed, he cared, he healed, he led, and he sought after, what would it look like for us? Maybe these are the questions that we have to wrestle with in our own lives. What would it look like for us to feed people like Jesus has fed us? To care for people like Jesus cares for us? To heal people like Jesus has healed us. To lead people like Jesus has led us. To seek people like Jesus has sought us. If you're a parent, maybe it means taking a little bit extra time in your life, in your schedule. Slow down enough to be able to teach a kid, your kid, about Jesus. And that's hard because I'm a, I'm a parent and I got, like, my house is falling apart half the time. Like, I look it out right now, and there's, like, you know, not quite knee-deep leaves, but it's, it's fall, and you guys all know it. Your, your yards are looking somewhat similar. I got railings I never quite got to this year that I wanted to, and I still kept busy, and there are many times when I was so busy, I forgot to, like, include my kids in what I was doing. And to include them means I got to slow down and less gets done. Maybe things don't get done quite the same way. But maybe that's what God's calling me to as he's put me responsible over my kids. And it's hard. 
Maybe in your workplace, God's calling you to be a leader who cares about the people that you're leading more than the production of your company. Maybe if you're in the military and you were just been concerned about tasks, getting it done, career advancement, maybe it's caring about the people you're leading and directing. And that's a hard thing in a, in a system like that, to truly have heart for those that you're leading. Ultimately, I think Jesus wants us to have an impact wherever we're put. My last point is Jesus' love is meant to flow through you. Jesus' love could simply come to you. He offers you salvation. He offers you a new life. He offers to start whittling away at your character to bring out things of value, to refine what you are into something so much better. And it can stop there. You can just decide, you know what? I'm good. I'm comfortable. I got... I've got my salvation. I've got my relationship with God. We're tight. And never have an impact anybody around you. But the way Jesus has taught us and the way he wants us to lead is to receive that and then push it out. The way that we have been cared for, the way that we have been loved by him, the way that we are guided by him, the way that we have been taught to give it away, to go and seek, to go and teach, to go and feed, to go and heal. That's what he's calling each and every one of us to do. If, if we know Jesus Christ, that should be on our plate. That's part of our responsibility as his children. Impact Eagle River is coming up in two weeks. And it, again, is an expression of who we are as a community. If you have been touched by the saving hand of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to invite you to play a part in that. And you may not be signing up because, well, a lot of the jobs that are left are, well, they're like set up and raking leaves and yard work. And I don't want to do that stuff. That's hard work. I want to challenge you that in that you will have a, I I can't guarantee, I'll give you my guarantee. You can come yell at me afterwards if it's not. I'll give you a guarantee. You will have a great time serving alongside other people at Impact Eagle River. So if you've been wondering if, if you should sign up, one of the ways that you can put this into practice is, is to sign up to volunteer on one of the teams. You'll have a great time. You'll meet people you, you maybe haven't met before at our church, uh, in our family, in our community, and you get to shine a bright light in our community for a morning. Uh, the second way that you can, can help out, and it's a really big deal, is the card that you have on your seat, the free oil change, you may be sitting on it. You may not have seen it in the dark, but it says uh, free oil change on the back. It says gas buy down. I want you to take that card right now and put it in your purse or put it in your wallet. Somewhere where you will take it with you today. Please take it with you. And this is what I'd like you to do with it is give it to someone who could benefit from it. Maybe you don't know somebody and I would say pray. Ask God for an opportunity. Maybe when you go out to lunch today, you're going to have an opportunity to meet somebody who could benefit from the oil change. Right now we have about 375 people at ACF signed up for Impact Eagle River and we have 35 people signed up to have their oil changed. We'd like to see about 500 signed up for the teams. We have enough jobs to fill that. Um, we also would like to see over 100 people get their oil changed. And, I, and we need your help to make that happen. Uh, so if you know people, give them that card. Invite them to be part of the oil change. We're, we're offering it to single parents, adoptive families, families who have children with special needs. And I'm telling you, because of our community, if you're a military 
uh, person, if you're a family and you are a military family and you have a spouse who is away right now, please sign up. We want to do your oil. We want to change your oil and just take a burden away from you as well. So if you're in, in this room today uh, or if you're watching online and that applies to you, but you're like, oh, ACF's my church. I don't want to use that. That would just, I feel, I feel guilty doing that. No, I'm taking that away. Please sign up. We want to offer that to you. Uh, you are part of our community. Just because you come here doesn't mean you stop being any of those things. Single parents uh, are struggling uh, just as much. So please let us do that. Uh, one of the ways I've done it is just simply go up and ask somebody, hey, do you know anybody who could use a free oil change? And just give them the card. And they can pass it on to somebody they might know that I don't know. So I encourage you to do that as well. When we let the love of God flow through us, when we see his leadership the way he has shepherded us, and we allow that to flow through us, we get to see God do incredible things in our community. I want to encourage you to do that. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God who loves us so much that you don't just uh, leave us un, unsupervised, Lord. You, you come in and you guide us and you lead us and you set the ultimate example in Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to love well. This is what love really looks like. You sought out those the society had rejected. Lord, the ones the leaders had ignored, you came in and loved deeply. From a man gaining his sight back to people being brought back from the dead. People walking who had never stood before. People who had been ignored and ridiculed by society, Lord. You extended love and grace. And Lord, that extends all the way to us. And Lord, because we have experienced that kind of love, Would you let us offer that out to our community? Help us to be the kind of shepherds you have shepherded us. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.